got to thinking about the verse, Mark 8, 36. It says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? In other words, if we knock it out of the park and we get our New Year's resolutions and we lose weight and we do those things, but our soul isn't saved, or I'm going to extend this, we don't win any other souls. What have we gained? We make it to heaven and we're like, yeah, I still have, you know, I still fit in my, you know, high school outfits. Good. I'm very, very happy for you. But did you take anything else with you? So today's message is New Year's resolutions that will win souls. Because according to Mark 836, that's what really matters. We want to bring souls to Christ. The Bible says in Proverbs 11, verse 30, it says, and he who wins souls is wise. How many of you want to be that person? Knott's translation says, where right living bears its fruit, the tree of life grows up and the wise man's reward is is living souls. Living souls as a reward. That is the reward I want. Bible says that winning souls, he who wins souls is wise. So does that mean that winning souls makes you wise or if you're wise, you win souls? Is it the chicken or the egg? And I, my favorite definition or example of the difference between like wisdom and intelligence is a 10-year-old boy who is smart, a 10-year-old boy, a smart 10-year-old boy knows that he can play in the street until a car's coming, but then he gets out of the way. He's smart. A wise 10-year-old boy knows that even though he pays attention to when the car is coming, if he plays in the street, his three-year-old brother will do the same and won't notice the cars, so he doesn't do it. So now, It's not that he was smarter, it's that he was wiser. He looked at the situation and he foresaw the outcome. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom looks at the situation and it doesn't just find the answer. It doesn't put two and two together and just say, oh, that's four, I memorized this, I know the answer, I can can recite. Intelligence can recite, wisdom can predict. And when we look at our lives, I want to encourage everyone, and if you want to stay against the system, quick resolve tonight so it's not a New Year's resolution, it's a New Year's Eve resolution, to make changes in our lives that we know will bring forth the outcome that we desire, and that is to win souls. We have to realize that we as Christians, we make a difference. We are what people see. Matthew 10, 16 through 17 says, Behold, I send you out as sheep amidst wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. God says, I want you to be strategic about how you behave. The snake is very cautious about when it comes out, when it strikes, It stays in that coil. Why? To protect itself. It's very strategic. 
This is what God wants. He wants us to be thinking, all right, how do I achieve these goals that I have? And the goal being to win souls. When we as a Christian, how many of you know what I mean when I say, we're going we're to have a test in Christianese. My testimony. How many knows what a testimony is? Now I can have a good testimony and a bad testimony. For those of you who aren't familiar with Christian lingo, your testimony is just basically your reputation. It's your, my testimony is either my reputation or the story that got me here. But I'm going to talk about your testimony as your reputation. Do you have a good testimony? Do you not? Because that's what we're going to have to change in order to reach other people. See, God, he had a strategy that he put into place at the Tower of Babel. How many of you remember that story? Prior to the Tower of Babel, all of humanity was in one bunch. They were all referred to and treated the same. And then at the Tower of Babel, God instigated a new strategy. He separated them. He gave them all different languages. They went into groups. And he says, all right, I'm going to reach them in groups. And then he chose a group, the Israelites. Now, many of us are like, oh, man, I wish I'd have been in it. You know, like, you kind of almost feel bad. Like, I didn't get to be the chosen one. But he didn't choose the Israelites just because that's the only ones he wanted. He chose them as the example because he still wanted everyone. And if you don't realize that, go back and read the Old Testament again. I think I've shared about this before, how when you go through there and you start looking at the stories of the 12 plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan and the Jericho walls tumbling down and David and Goliath and all those stories. And we remember the different things that, you know, David and Goliath teaches us that we're, you know, even if we're small, God can use us and, and, and nothing's too big for God. He can... Take down the walls of Jericho. But when you look at the stories in the scripture, let's just jump. I've got a couple that I could go to, but I'm going to go to Joshua chapter 4, verse 23. It says, For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until he had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. That was a missions story. Did, 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 I don't remember that part on the flannel graph when I was in children's church. But it's a mission story. See, God said, I'm going to use the people of Israel as an example. You don't have to raise your hand on this one, but how many of you have ever known somebody who behaved in a certain way and you were just like, I hope nobody knows that they're a Christian? Oh, I hope no one realizes they go to my same church. Right? Because you, you instinctively realize that what they're doing is not helping your testimony, their testimony. You're just like, oh, please help us in reverse. Tell people that you're not saved, that you've quit. Because they're, 
their example is turning people off. The, the devil knows this, and he will, he will use that to his advantage if he can. But God is saying, I want you to be an example. We should be living in such a way that people look at us and say, I want peace like that. I want joy like her. I want a marriage like that. I'd like my kids to be respectful like that. I want to, I want to know how they live their life like that. When we watch infomercials, you ever noticed all the workout equipment infomercials? Like, they're selling you this, like, seven-pound workout equipment. And they're like, yeah, it'll make you look like this. And you're like, that guy did more than lift that little thing there. But they know. They're not going to put someone on there who's never lifted more than... Because they realize you want to buy something from someone who looks like what you want to look like. And God understands. Similarly, he says... I want to use you to be an example to the world. So here are some of the New Year's resolutions that would win souls. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 3 says, And a fool's voice is known by his many words. Resolution number one, watch what we say. Our words are powerful, powerful, not just because the Bible says you will have whatsoever you say, but also just saying too much, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, just slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's what the Bible says. Be careful. James chapter 3 verse 1 says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man and able to control his own body. So this verse, on one hand, gives us the importance of it, and it also says, God understands this is challenging. This is one of the most challenging things for us is to control our mouth. Watch what we say. How many of you have ever seen someone destroy their testimony with their mouth? You've just seen somebody, it's like they were going along good and then they're like, beep, 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 beep. You're like, whoa. Or they go, I, I, when I think of this, I always think of a, a particular thing that happened to me when I was in college. There was a group of us who would meet like once a week at a, at a bagel shop before school and hang out. And we, we were friends. We, we saw each other a lot, but that was kind of a routine we had. And one of the days we were hanging out at the bagel shop before school, we're talking, and there were about six of us there. I do not remember who they were talking about. I do not remember what they said. I do not remember what I said. But I do remember their response. And this is, they were talking about somebody, kind of gossipy. And they had said, somebody did something really stupid. And I'm just kind of sitting there listening along. And I piped up in agreement that that was really stupid. 
And all of a sudden, one of the girls that was at the table there looks at me and says, you know, in over a year and a half that I've known you, that is the first time I've ever heard you talk bad about somebody. I'm like, well, now you tell me. If you'd have told me 10 minutes ago, I wouldn't have said it. Right? Have you ever done, you realize, you don't realize how much progress you've made until you blow it. And then you're like, oh, I didn't realize that all that effort I put in to speaking positively had been noticed by anybody until I quit putting in the effort. And I want to encourage you that not only does God see, but we would be amazed if we realized how much our coworkers see and notice when we act in a godly way, when we control our mouths, when we just don't bother chiming in in agreement. Yeah, they're pretty stupid. Just don't say it. Don't say it. Verse 13 of James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good conduct by deeds done with in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor in your hearts jealousy and self-ambition, do not boast in it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Wherefore jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder in every evil practice. Number two. Forgive. Forgive. Verse 14 says, But if you harbor in your hearts bitterness or jealousy or self-ambition, don't boast in that. Have you ever noticed that society, like, they, we, we've become a people that boast in our offenses. Oh, you know, I am so peeved about the, you. Wait till you hear what bothered me this time. You know, get on Facebook. What are you going to see? A list of, man, I'm really upset about that. I'm really upset about that. Ranting about this and ranting about that. We boast in what we're offended by. That, the Bible says, that's not the Christian way. He says, where that is, there is an abundance of every evil. We need to forgive. So verse 16, it says, where jealousy and selfishness exist, there is disorder in every evil practice. 17, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap the fruit of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap, reap the fruit of righteousness. What is the fruit of righteousness? I was thinking about that and I went, the scripture says that Jesus, when he saw the crowds, had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore send out workers into his harvest field. What was the harvest? It was souls. It was, it was people's hearts. He saw the people. They were harassed and helpless. He said, pray for that harvest. 
when we become peacemakers intentionally, the fruit of our righteousness, it's not just peace. It's the hearts that are won over because of that. Some of us, in order to walk in forgiveness, we have some past issues to deal with. We need to let go of something in the past. Some of us, what we need is to pre-decide how we will react to our next situation. What does it look like to walk in forgiveness? Some of us can say, you know what, I don't have some major issue with somebody, but what I've got is a bazillion minor issues that just keep popping up all the time. Because why? Because we're in a habit of taking offense, of being bothered, of not forgiving. You ever been driving down the road and you just barely, like maybe, I don't know, slow down too much, you move over just a little bit. It's not like you really hit anybody and all of a sudden the car next to you, horn explodes, they're, you know, waving at you with one finger and, and you can see them. You know, my kids are always trying to guess what words they were saying. I think he said the F word, Dad. I think, I think he did. Why? Are they so upset so easily? It, it, it's not what you just did. It's unforgiveness that's already there. The Bible says that anger rests in the soul of the fool. In other words, the fool just holds it. They get mad at their boss, come home and kick their dog. It's not the dog. It's that anger that's just there. If we forgive, listen, if, if we determine I'm going to live a life where I predetermine I am not going to hold grudges. I am going to live at peace. The Bible says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Recognizing it's not always dependent entirely upon you, but as much as it does, be at peace. Forgive. Imagine how free you'd feel if you just weren't mad at anybody. I mean, think about it. And you don't get that way because nobody's doing anything dumb. We all live on the same planet. Dumb is here to stay. <laughs> but we don't have to be offended by it. Forgive. Number three. Love others tangibly. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. God says, this is the number one identifier of my disciples. They love one another. If we were to make a resolution, I would say let's make the resolution that we are going to walk in love. That when somebody looks at my life, they're going to say, it's different. It's loving to everyone. I've heard it said that the measure of a, measure of a man is how kind they are to those who can do nothing for them. 
everybody's nice to their boss, in front of their face anyway. But how do we treat those who we know can do nothing for us? Nothing for us. I remember in high school for the, uh, for the youth group, I, I was in colluding with the uh, youth pastor and I dressed up as a bum, a complete bum. I got a wig, I got fake teeth, I chewed garlic. I, I can't remember what else I may have done, but I mean, I was just dressed up bad and I mean, you know, you got within three feet of me, you could smell it. And showed up to the, the, the big, there, there's a big youth gathering thing and, and I was there you know, trying to kind of get in. And there were a lot of kids who were just, you know, wouldn't have anything to do with it. And then there were a couple of kids who, like, singled me out. One of my best friends I had a conversation with didn't have a clue it was me. I mean, like, literally didn't have a clue. It was that much. The teeth that I had in my, like, make, changed my facials with the hair and everything. I, I might have been wearing glasses. But... It was so much. And to see there were only like two or three kids who just said, you know what? This person can't do anything for me. They can't hardly do something for themselves, apparently. But I am going to reach out. I'm going to do something. I'm going to try to make that person feel welcome. I'm going to ask them what they, you know, just ask them about themselves. Go up, greet, say hello. Do, I, do they need anything? And then, you know, halfway through the message, the youth pastor called me up and we had the big reveal and the kids learned a lesson. But we didn't do that today, don't worry. So that person with the bad breath, they really had bad breath. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, choosing to love people intentionally. Number four, Proverbs 12, 16 says, A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. Controlling our temper. We've talked a little bit about it just now when we were talking about loving others, but controlling our temper is huge, is huge. So many people are turned off to God by the people who claimed to be Christians and then blew their lid. And sadly, I think most of us have seen it happen before. I know when, when I think about people who I have been ashamed that we went to the same church kind of thing, it's that. It was when they got pressed in a tough situation and exploded. But the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. You see, it's, it's not through sheer self-will that we gain power over our temper. It's through relying on God. It's through trusting in Him. It's when we put our trust in Him, when we say, okay, I don't have to be in control. 
Psychologists tell us that most temper tantrums are a grasp for control. When we get angry, most of the time it's because we believe falsely that we will acquire more control of the situation, of whatever happened that we didn't like, of the person who was upsetting us by, you know, reacting bigger, losing our cool. But when we trust God is the one in control, then we don't have a need to doing that. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. This may sound a little funny, but I honestly believe that when we apply biblical principles to our finances, we win souls. Say, what? Again, God is wanting to use us as an example. Everybody, anybody, who, all those who agree, raise your hand. God wants us to be an example. All right, did you know that the vast majority of divorces claim that money was the problem? Was money the problem? No, but that's what they say. Why? Because money magnified the problem. Money was the field on which the problem played itself out, but money wasn't the problem. And similarly, in our lives, God gives us principles to, to walk out. He says, look, you know, the, the borrower is servant to the lender. The Bible talks about the value of investing. The Bible talks about all kinds of very godly things. Talks about giving, sowing, so that you reap a harvest. There are so many financial principles in play. And when we walk those out, we will be at peace. It is hard to be at peace when your finances are in shambles. Finances magnify what you are. They don't make what you are. And so I put that in my list. I said, what are some New Year's resolutions that would literally win souls? I believe that some of us would increase our testimony with the unsaved people around us if we just resolved to treat our finances in a biblical way. Now, some of you, that may be the way that you handle debt. Some of you, that may be when it comes to giving and tithing. Some of you, that may be involved in investing. Some of you, that may be giving beyond the offering. But how we run our finances literally can affect souls. Number four, 
Matthew 9, 38 says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You knew this one was coming. I purposely didn't put it first. But pray. Pray. Along with read your Bible and pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Anybody else remember that song? Yeah. We knew that was coming. And I put them on the, to, to the last because I didn't want it to be like, oh, of course, I already know this all. But it's so good and it's so true. When we pray, God, notice, he didn't say pray for unsaved people to come. He said, pray for workers to go. That is something every single one of us can do. Nobody here lacks that qualification. We can pray that God would send workers. Why did he ask us to pray that prayer? Because that prayer makes a difference. It is a biblical prayer. The Bible says we know that when we ask according to his will, and we know this is his will, he answers us, period. No doubt, no question, no wondering. This is a prayer I can pray and it will be answered. If I pray for souls, if I pray for workers to be brought, sent out to, those, to that harvest, it will happen. Don't be surprised when you turn out to be one of them. But also don't be afraid because it's going to be great. Pray. And I'm just going to plug the 21 days of prayer while we're talking about this topic. On the first, every year we as a church do 21 days of fasting. When you hear that word, there's like just a hush. I was like, I hope he didn't mean me. First of all, if you haven't been here long enough, we're not talking about complete fast for 21 days. We look in the Bible in, in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel says he spent three weeks where he avoided meat and fine foods, wine and perfume. That's it. He still ate. He just decided to avoid fine foods. Most people who do the Daniel fast define fine foods as sugar. <laughs> Avoiding sugar and meat. If you go online, you'll find a lot of different definitions. Some people will say, you know, that includes wheat, and some people will say that includes spices, and some people will say that that includes juice because juice has sugar, and then other people will say juice is fine because it's just fruit, and then back and forth and forth and back. I don't care. Here's the point. Do something to intentionally change your behavior for those 21 days. Pray. Bring your flesh in under control and say, for you might be sugar for you. Some of you always, my wife, she barely has sugar ever. So it's like normal for her. Not for me. But Others say, you know what, coffee. You know, some people don't even do food. Some people do TV. 
internet. Take your pick. You know, there is not a biblical mandate to do a Daniel fast. There's just an example. And he explains the whole thing in one sentence. The point is the heart. Decide what you want to do and then join us as we pray. On our website, reslife.org, um, in Spanish, it's Primero Ora. Pray First, I believe, is the backslash pray first. You'll find a form there where it shows you what scripture the whole church is praying each day. Take some time. You can pray for your Aunt Mildred every day. It's not like this is the only thing you can pray about. But knowing that you'll be united with the entire church body praying over that scripture Start there, end there, hit that in the middle of your prayer, whatever. It doesn't all have to look exactly the same. But what we want to see is that we put forth, the Bible is very clear about first, the first fruit. That's why we do church on the first day of the week. Because we want to demonstrate we put God first. What does the Bible say? Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. This year, whether you do resolutions or not, I just want to encourage you, be strategic in your life about the results you want to have. Use godly wisdom and make changes to achieve those results. Pray. Join us in fasting for those 21 days, and again, doesn't have to be a full fast. Many, many people on staff and in the church congregation start with maybe one day of a full fast or two days, three days, and then switch over to the Daniel fast. <clears throat> you can look it up. There are very deep, for those of you who love details, there are recipe books. There is all kinds of, of detail about how to go about it. But my encouragement is don't get bogged down in the details. How many granules of salt count and don't count and sugar? Don't worry. The Bible says that God doesn't look at the outside, but the inside. He's looking at your heart. Number five is reading your Bible. Just reading God's word. Matthew 4, 4 says, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And as we're talking about people's souls being saved, I like Romans 10, 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And I would add, and how would they know what to say unless they read their Bible? So, read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. All right. I think we'll just close there. I've, I've had this... This is one of my favorite scriptures. I love to bring it up when we're talking about winning souls. And that is Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. 
says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. Paul said, pray that doors would be opened. If there's any resolution we could make, I would say that that is to reach souls for Christ. And the, Paul says the way to do it is pray for doors to be opened. Again, we know that if we pray according to his will, he hears us and he answers us. It is his will that those doors be opened. I double dog dare you to pray it. Double dog, triple dog dare you to pray that God would open doors. And then when he does, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So we have a biblical example. I pray for open doors. When the door opens, I pray for words. What do I got to do? I got to pray for the door. When the door opens, I got to open my mouth. And it says, the words will be given me. <laughs> That's it. That's how we reach people. Realize, if we each won one soul, we would double the church in a year. I'm fine at, at that rate. We don't need to do it every year, but if we can, we should. Right? I'm excited. 2019 is going to be good. We're going to strategically, intentionally, purposely win souls. Now, God's design isn't that the main way people be saved is that they come to church, hear a message, respond to an altar call. The main way he wants people to hear is through our lives. Take your finger, point it at you. Say, I am, I am the message of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ. To, those around me. to those around me. We are. We're it. Some of us will be the only Jesus Christ that our coworkers, fellow students, neighbors see all year. It's us. But he, God wants people to come no matter how they come. So if you are here and you know that you are forgiven, that your sins were forgiven, that you made Jesus the Lord of your life, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your sins, I want you to raise your hand. You already know that. You know that you'd go to heaven if you died. The Bible tells us that we should know we have salvation. It doesn't say wait and find out. It says no, as in you can know now, not later. How do you know? Romans 10, 9, and 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth, believe with our heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, we will be saved. Saved from what? We're saved from the sin that separated us from God. You see, every human being sinned. And it caused a separation. Adam took a piece of fruit from a tree he wasn't supposed to. I've done worse than that. All of us have. 
But Jesus, he came. He lived a sinless life so that then he could die, take the punishment that we deserved. Because if he deserved it, then it would have been him dying for himself. But he didn't deserve it. He died for us. We make him the Lord of our life and we are forgiven. There is no longer any sin separating us from God. When we die, we spend eternity with him and we know that before we die because God promised it. And the Bible says he is not a man that he could lie. So if you want to know today, not hope today, but know today that you are going to heaven when you die, that your sins are forgiven, I want everybody to close your eyes just for a second. And if that's you, when I say three, I want you to raise your hand because you don't have to leave here wondering. One, two, three. Put that hand up. I see one, two. All right. We're going to pray. We're going to pray today. I want everyone to repeat with me. Say, dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross after living a sinless life. I recognize he did that for me. I accept his sacrifice. I accept your forgiveness. And I make you the boss of my life. I no longer live to please myself. Thank you for making me a part of your family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.